What is your best tips to avoid injuries? Mobility. Easy answer. Mobility. Make sure that you are focusing on your mobility. Whenever we're thinking about injuries and a lot of the time it's not because we're playing volleyball. You know, we say, oh, I got hurt playing volleyball, but it's not because you're playing volleyball. It's because you have something that is not allowing you to move. And whenever that happens, our bodies constrict ourselves in order to protect ourselves. So if you are trying to stay injury free, make sure you're keeping up with your workouts, make sure you're focusing on your mobilities, listen to your body. That's something that Mark and I have really been preaching this year. Uh, if we have any type of back pain, any type of hip impingement, whatever. Whatever, we take that into account when we're lifting. If it's supposed to be a max rep day and our backs don't feel great, we scrub it or we just lower our weight enough to where we feel comfortable. We don't not work out. We don't cancel the lift, but it just changes what we're focusing on. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Better Beach Podcast. My name is Brandon Joyner. It is just going to be me today. We also have our camp coming up. Our coaching staff for this round, we haven't completely announced yet, but it is on fire. The amount of high-level coaches that we're bringing to this camp is amazing, and I think that that's kind of what sets us apart. If you're on the wait list, you can shoot us an email one more time, and then whenever we are moving forward, uh, we're probably going to be coming out with some more dates for summer camps. Make sure you keep an eye out for those because right now, especially when people are looking to sign up for clinics and camps, uh, they do fill up quite quickly. So uh, if you want to join our newsletter, letter, shoot us a, shoot us an email at support at betterbeach.com and we'll get you on that. Okay, so a little update about me. I think a lot of you guys know I was currently, or the last 75 days, I was doing a little self-discipline challenge called 75 Hard. I was able to complete it. I feel great. I'm still thinking about how I want to promote it, how I want to talk about it. But as of right now, I'm just happy that I was able to last. I was able to get my mind in the right direction and feeling healthy. So if you have any questions about how what that looked like for me, please go ahead and shoot me a DM, shoot me an email. My Instagram is joybeachpv. I will gladly talk to you guys about that. But today I am answering questions. Our Facebook group that we have, Volley Chat, is amazing. It provides people a platform to go on there and talk beach volleyball. And one of the things that happens quite often on this page is that people go onto this page and ask questions. And these questions are amazing. We use them a lot to create our videos. So if you have a question and you are not already on or a member of our volley chat group on Facebook, please, please join. Uh, we are constantly looking at it. We're, we love it when people ask questions. We love it when people engage. And like I said, it really does. It gives us a lot of ideas on what topics we should talk about for this podcast. It gives us a lot of ideas of what we should be focusing on for our YouTube videos, which we know a lot of you guys love and watch. And we appreciate you guys tuning in every single week, subscribing to our channel, sharing it with your friends. So our way of kind of giving back to you guys as much as we can without getting to see you in person is we just try to answer as many of your questions as we can. So 
those of you that ask questions on a regular basis or you you tend to add to the conversation we really try to and we try to answer those questions and make you feel like you're involved and that's a really really easy way for us to do that so today my plan is i'm going to be on here for about 45 minutes uh, so a little bit of a shorter session but i have five questions that i've pulled from our volley chat account that i thought were really really good questions and as i'm going if you guys have any questions yourselves, just go ahead and put them in the chat and I'll answer as many as I can. And as I'm going through, I'll keep an eye on the chat. And if I see anything that kind of jumps ahead of the questions that I've written down, then I'll go ahead and answer those. So let's go ahead and get started. All right. So the first question that I'm going to be answering today is we have a group that is new to volleyball. Okay. And I'm not 100% sure where they're playing, but this person was asking for us to help them create some type of rules that their group could follow that encourage fun, but also has a little bit of structure. And I really, really like this question because I think a lot of people in the beach volleyball world don't have a great understanding of the rules in general. And that that's not a put down by any means. I think the rules are written in a way that it offers a lot of judgment. And especially if you're in an area where you're trying to increase the level of play, I think that there are some ideas that we can start to implement. And we, are, we actually do this at our camps, but it's just a really fun way to kind of get around all these rules, get around all these debates and kind of have fun. So uh, the first thing that I would bring up is especially in an, a group where you are just starting out and you're trying to find some structure, if there is ever a debate, just replay the point. You know, I think a lot of times we figure out, we try to spend so much time arguing and then nobody really knows the answer. So it just becomes who's better at being a debater, you know, somebody who is better at carrying their words and who doesn't give up the longest. That's not the way you want to do it because it creates tension. It creates a lot of animosity between the group and you miss out on so much time playing. So if there's ever a disagreement, just replay it. Just keep going. Some rules that I think you have to follow, and some of these are safety reasons, but the first one I would do, I would say is no open hand receiving on the first contact of the play. I think that this is a really easy one to follow because in serve receive, you are not allowed to open hand set a ball. You can have your hands together and make a play, whether it's a tomahawk or some kind of slappy with your hands together. But just avoiding that contact, especially with your hands apart, is going to stop a lot of arguments. Okay. It only hit one hand. You can only say that so many times before you start to get into an argument with somebody. So for the first contact of the play, make sure that your hands are together. doesn't matter if it's with a platform, if you're doing a tomahawk, meaning that you're touching the ball above your head, still make sure your hands are together. And if they're not, then especially if we're in a group that's just starting out, I think it's okay to say that's not good. Obviously, in the sport of beach volleyball, you are allowed to open hand serve receive a ball, but it has to fall within the guidelines of a double, okay? It being a clean set, all right? Sorry, which means that it cannot be a double or a lift, all right? And on the first contact of a play, it's very difficult to not have one of those things happen. Especially, we, we don't see this happen a lot in the professional world. 
Okay, most of those guys are either going to be tomahawking the ball or they're going to be getting their body behind it or away from it so that they can use their platform. So avoid open hand contacts for your first touch. And then another one that I think we should incorporate for these new rules is no open hand tipping on the third contact or whenever you're putting the ball over the net. And what an open hand tip is, is when you're using your fingertips to push the ball over the net, all right? You can use a knuckle, you can use a fist, you can open hand slap the ball and make a smack. That's what we call a normal attack, but you are not allowed to open hand tip a ball with your fingertips. Honestly, I think that those are one, probably two of the only rules that I would truly enforce. Another safety rule that I would talk about is telling people not to go under the net or to touch the net in general. Okay, so no nets. If you touch the net, the play is dead. There are some rules about you being able to touch the net and stuff like that, but let's just go ahead and disregard that and think if you touch the net, the play is done, mainly because it's a safety hazard. If somebody comes under the net, if somebody hits the net, you could be putting the people that you're playing with in a little bit of trouble, and we want to avoid that as much as we can. So, but other than that, I think you play. I think you have fun. A lot of us, we spend a lot of time talking about double calls, talking about lift calls, and I think that you can start to bring that rule up when you start to do a tournament. And obviously, this depends on the level of play of your type of practice. For instance, when I go out to the beach, we tend to let hands go unless we call it, right? So if there's a really, really bad set that's easily seen as a double, we'll stop the play and we'll say, no, that one's yours. But if it's anything close, if it's something that's left up for debate, we keep it going. We don't even argue about it. You can ask the other person, hey, did you think that was good? But most of the time, we're not pulling points away from anyone. And especially if you are in an area where you're trying to increase the level of play, you're trying to have fun. I think calling doubles and lifts is a very tricky way to make that happen. I don't I don't know if it's possible because there's so many different interpretations on what is a double and what is a lift. So if you're playing competitively, I think it's okay to add in that little, that rule of saying no doubles, no lifts. But if you're just out there practicing, having fun, there's no money on the line or anything like that, I would just avoid it altogether and say, let's honor call, make the call that you think is best and let's move on. And once again, if it gets to the point where there's a little disagreement, no, I thought it was clean. No, I thought it was a double, whatever. Just replay it. Points behind you, reset. And I think we can all kind of move forward with that. So I think we can all agree that those kind of rules will definitely help you up to help you out to make things move a little bit smoother. All right. The next question. This question was pretty good too. And I think especially since we are moving into season, we're starting to get closer to those tournaments. Uh, This person asked, you have seven days in the week. How many days are you playing volleyball? versus training and when you're playing volleyball are you doing drills or are you just playing points or playing games sorry I think this question does I'm going to give a blanket statement but it has a lot to do with the level of play that you are currently at and what your weaknesses and strengths are all right so for instance for me my seasons looking at moving in or my week moving into a season if I'm still feeling weak I'm probably going to focus a little bit more on the gym. If I feel like I'm lacking in my touches, I'm lacking in my accuracy, then I'm probably going to spend a little bit more time training. Okay. So, but if we're thinking about a blanket statement, I think that those numbers of playing versus lifting can be the same. Okay. So I would say three to four days playing or practicing and then three to four days lifting. 
All right. And it is important to make sure that you are not just going in and playing at practice. All right. Personally, for me, I think that that ratio should be anywhere from two to one to three to one for drills to gameplay. So I think at most professional practices, unless it is deemed a competitive day, we're showing up and we're for every three skill type drills that we're doing, then we're doing one gameplay like drill. All right. So I think that that's a really, really good balance because it allows you to get the work on individual touches and then it allows you to get that gameplay moving forward. For me specifically this past four to five weeks, I've had two days throughout the week where there's no gameplay. It is only drills. And to be honest, those are some of my favorite days. Um, that's where I get the most out of my days. But now that we're moving closer to season, I'm going to start repping up those game-like practices just so I can get used to what it feels like to side out in a competitive situation. It is important to find that, but even throughout your season, even throughout your game, even throughout your, your weeks, you still need to think about incorporating focused drill type work into your practices because if you just go out there and play, you're not going to see a whole lot of improvement. You're going to get in great shape. You're going to feel like you're moving very well, but your accuracy and your fundamentals are not going to have a huge change. Okay. So if you're lacking cardio and you just need to be in better shape, then you might be able to go out there and gameplay. If you're still figuring out how to pass and you're still figuring out how to set and hit and have accurate shots, then obviously you still want to make sure that you're getting in those types of reps. Okay. And whenever you're doing this, it's still important to think about having a focus at your practice. All right. Make it, is it a ball control day? Is it an attacking day? Is it a defense day? Whatever it is, make sure that you're going into it like that so that you can think about what types of drills you want to incorporate. And if you are looking for types of drills that you can do, if you want to incorporate this type of balance, then you can. I think we have one second. Oh, yep. So here we have our 50 beach volleyball practice plans. And it is a great tool, especially if you are a group that wants to work on training more than playing. If you, if if you feel like you've been off balance in that with, with what I just talked about, this is a great product for you to find. It will give you all those focuses, all those practice plans. I personally worked on this a lot and I'm proud of it. I think that it offers a very wide range of drills and skills to be worked on. And it kind of gives you an idea of what a progression of a practice should look like from individual touches to moving into a little bit more competitive type of drills where you're not just going up and playing all the time. So if you're interested in practice plans, go ahead and uh, check that out. Now thinking about lifting, you also have to think where you're at, okay? If you still feel weak, then you might still be on a power phase. So for, for Mark and I, we've kind of finished our power phase. We're about a month out from our tournament. And now we're at the point where we're thinking about agility and explosiveness. Okay, so we're still working out three to four days a week, depending on the week. But our focus has changed a little bit. Now we're not necessarily trying to increase our squat PR or whatever. We're trying to put on explosiveness. So it's a lot more higher reps, quicker movements, a lot less weight. We're doing a lot of body weight stuff where it's agility hops and, and explosive moves. And if you're interested in that, we also have our 60 day max vertical program that just applies all of this. It's written out for you. All you have to do is go on to the internet, log into our page, tells you what workouts you're doing. And luckily, 
for me, I've had Mark be my personal trainer for the last 15 years since I've known him. And now you guys have the option of working with them as well. So it's a great product again, and allows you to kind of focus on those things. But my big broad answer would say, just make sure that you are thinking about your weaknesses, you're thinking about your strengths, and you are working as hard as you can to get that up to where you need it to be. All right. Doing all right. Okay. Where, here's my next question. Actually, I'm going to take a question from a uh, chat since we already have a lot of questions. Desiree, I don't know if I'm seeing your full question. When receiving a hard hit, what do you look at? Hands, body? I don't know. I get stuck. Okay. So one of the questions we have on the chat right now is from Desiree. Really good question. When you're receiving a hit from the attacker, what are you looking at? And Mark has spoken about this quite a bit. And I and I personally have been focusing a little bit more on my defense this offseason. Um, mainly, it just kind of happened because I was playing with a lot of defenders. But whenever we're thinking about what that hard hit, what you're looking at when that person's hitting the ball, is I think there's two things that we can look at. The first thing we have to look at is what does the speed of their approach look like? Okay. It's really, really hard for people to not show if they're hitting hard or if they're shooting. If they're able to hold very, very long and try to make things very deceptive, then obviously this doesn't work as much. But if we're thinking about what should we be looking at, the first thing is what is the speed of their approach? If they're going in slow, more than likely, they're not going to be hitting hard. So you're starting to think about what is their momentum? Where's their momentum carrying them? Because more than likely, their momentum is going to tell you where they're going to be shooting the ball. Okay. If they are coming in really, really hard, and meaning that their approach is really, really fast, really aggressive, they look like they're going to try to jump as high as they possibly can, and it's noticeable, then that means that they're probably going to be hitting the ball really, really hard. And what we need to do there is we just need to place ourselves in that open alley outside the blocker where their arm swing is going. Okay. And the way that you can understand where their arm swing is going, and I think this is kind of where Desiree was talking about is we need to be looking at their hitting window. Okay. It's really hard to look at somebody's elbow. It's really hard to look at someone's hand just because it's moving so fast. But if you pay attention to, if you imagine when the ball gets set, if you could draw a picture frame around where the contact point is going to happen for that attacker, then that's the area you need to find because that's when you'll be able to see what an attacker's hand is doing on that ball. It, it's a really hard thing to see. It's more setting yourself up in an area to make the right play. For hard attacks, I would say get outside the blocker, think about where their body positioning is going, and then really think about what are they able to hit. You know, I think a lot of us, we give attackers a little too much credit into hitting these really, really sharp, steep sidelines, and we try to put ourselves there. Where if, if somebody's able to hit that sharp, steep kind of ball, they almost deserve it. So put yourself in an area where maybe 70% of their hit attacks would go. If they don't hit it in that area, that's okay. Okay. Then you can kind of take that information in and keep moving. If it's a shooter, then I think it's important to, once again, still think about finding that attack window, make that frame. But now you're kind of looking to see, like, what is their momentum doing? If they're fading away from this ball, more than likely they're going to go either high line or cut shot, depending on what side they're playing. But a player's momentum will give away a lot of those secrets. Okay, and then the next question right after that, a lot of questions about reading attackers. How can I get better at seeing the direction of hard spikes or serves? Once again, I think this has a lot to do with uh, reading attackers 
momentum like where are their last two steps going to go after their third are they going to be inside are they going to be away from the setter um if you're able to pick up on that then you'll realize what an attacker can do because if some let's say i'm playing on the left side of the court and my setter sets the ball too far outside of me it's going to be really hard for me to lean to my left and then hit a really hard shot back to my right okay and and the cut shot idea is almost completely out the window so it's situations like that. So in that situation, if I decide to hit the ball, I'm probably going to hit the ball line. And if I shoot the ball, I'm probably going to shoot the ball line. And if I do anything else, my body is in such a weird position that it's going to be somewhat high and slow because I'm now not using the momentum of my approach to hit this ball, which means that the power aspect is going to be put down quite a bit. Um, so I think it a lot of it has to go into just reading the momentum of the player. I think for lower level players, if you're a beginner or an intermediate, depending on where you're from, follow the ball. If the ball seems to get set too far outside of a player, follow them. Keep it going. More than likely, they're going to hit where that ball is. If I'm on the left side and I get set too far inside, there's a good chance that I'm going to continue it cross. If I get set too far outside, there's a good chance that I'm going to continue it line because that's my easiest hit. And a lot of times people just perform the hit that is easiest to them, especially if they haven't figured out how to use their timing step and their approach to get to the ball. Okay, so keep looking at that momentum, keep following it. All right. How do you find a partner after moving to a new state? You got to get out there. You got to play. And I, I think uh, I think this is a good question because I think a lot of people go through it. To be honest, this is why um, we started our coaching here in the South Bay is because we wanted people to find have an area where they could go that was safe and welcoming, uh, where they can meet a lot of people. And I think in the volleyball community, we're really, really lucky to have a solid group of people and every single location of the world that will welcome in new people. But all you have to do is you have to call, you have to try to get out there. If you're moving to a new area, Volley Chat on our Facebook group is a really good place to start. We have people on there all the time that are saying, hey, I'm going to this place next week. Does anyone on here know of any volleyball going on? And 9.9 .9 times out of 10, we will see posts on that thread where they are getting invited to going to play. They're told of what facilities are. Um, if you look up a place, whether it's a facility, whether it's indoor, whether it's beach, whatever, you just got to look for it and go. I promise you, you, it might be intimidating at first to show up, but the volleyball community is so amazing that you will feel welcome within minutes. Always reach out to people. Be okay with going on to Facebook groups. All right, one more, and then I'll go back to mine. What would you recommend for shoulder pain? Shoulder pain. Okay. So a lot of shoulder pain questions. And we actually had a kind of a shoulder question as well on my list. So I'm glad that this came up. I'm going to go ahead and post this right now while I'm talking about it. We have a product that is called How to Fix Your Arm Swings and How to Fix Your Arm Swing in 10 Days. This product was created for shoulder pain issues. The amount of people that email us daily that get on our Facebook group that text Mark and I that drop into Mark and I's DMs about having bad shoulders was the whole reason that we created this course. To be honest, Mark and I love answering questions. We love talking to people. We are volley nerds to the finest. But once we start answering the same question over and over again, we feel like it's our responsibility to create something that can get rid of it. A lot of the times when we are dealing with shoulder issues, it has to do with two things a weakness 
or bad technique, okay? And unfortunately, those two things tend to go hand in hand because if you have weakness, you start to do things in a weird way that change your arm swing. Very, very quickly, this course goes into it in full depth. It gives you workouts for 10 days in a row. If you join our online version, it lasts 21 days, but it is with constant feedback. Um, the workouts that we do on this course, I will go ahead and tell you, are eyes, Ys, and Ts. If you don't know what eyes, Ys, and Ts are, if you lay down and you put your forehead on the ground and you have your hands above your head, then you are going to raise your hands off the ground for one minute. Okay. Once that one minute is done, you are going to relax then you're going to put your hands out like a Y. So this would be a, an I with your hands straight above your head with your biceps as close to your ears as you can get. A Y is going to look like a Y, kind of like the YMCA. Same thing. Lift those arms off the ground for one minute and hold, okay? With the I's and Y's, if you want a little bit more challenge, then you can grab one of those little bands. Okay, make sure you go with a really light one. But as your hands are above your head, you can have tension on this and that will allow you to strengthen your back, your shoulders, your rotator cuff, whatever. So once you go through your eyes and then your Ys, I think with eyes and Ys, you can use the band or you can use a really light weight. And I'm talking like two pounds to five pounds. You'll be surprised how hard it is when you have to do it for one minute. Okay. Then finally, the T's. T's are you're just going to be with your arms out to your side. So your body's making a T. And then you can do a one minute with your thumbs facing up. So your thumbs will be facing the sky. Remember, my forehead is on the ground. I'm pulling my arms back up to the side. And then another minute with my thumb going down. Okay. So it just activates a couple different muscles and you can go with that. The last one is we do these wall climbers where we put our arms at four, at 90 degrees. We have a little bit of tension away. And then you just climb up a wall, not allowing your forearms to leave the wall. Okay, so if I was going to do this, I would have my arms against a wall here. So if my TV right here was my wall, I would have my arms pressed against that wall. And then I'm slowly going to climb up that wall until my arms are all the way above my head. And then I'm going to go down you're going to do that for a minute as well. That should help a lot with the strengthening. Um, other than that, it's just really focusing on finding your arm swing and trusting yourself. Being completely honest, this happens to me almost every single year. I start practice and within six weeks, my shoulder is hurting a lot. And then I watch a video and I realize that I am not performing a proper arm swing. And I have to reteach myself. I have to go into my own course that I made and watch these videos about activating my rhomboid, about pulling my arm back, about making this feel like a throwing motion. And the easiest thing that I can tell you without really giving you all the tips from our course is try to make your arm swing as natural as possible. And if you can make that arm swing feel like a throwing motion, then that will certainly help you along the way. So really focus on finding that natural throwing motion. And then once you're able to do that, you should be okay. Record yourself. There's a very, very good chance that as you're recording yourself, you'll pick up on a lot of the troubles that you're giving yourself. If you are bringing this elbow in too early and it's below your shoulder, then you are going to be causing a lot of stress on your shoulder. So really think about what a natural throw looks like. And if you focus on that throwing motion, you focus on your strength, then you should be able to kind of move forward. But find your throwing motion on the ground before you start jumping. Okay, so still think about whatever you're going to do to fix that arm swing, to fix those shoulder issues. Make sure you're doing those exercises. Record yourself. Start on the ground by trying to find that open up 
and that that swing through and then as you continue to progress you'll be able to add the jump and find that same motion but a lot of us we just rely on what we think is helping us and most of the time that isn't the case okay so once again if you're looking to fix your arm swing if you're looking to fix your shoulder issues please 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 check out betteratbeach.com fix your volleyball arm swing and that will give you a lot of tips on how you can fix that shoulder issues if you're playing right now with shoulder pain i promise you it can go away and all it is is one easy fix or maybe some strengthening uh, to get rid of it all right logan weber who's your favorite better at beach coach ah that's a tough one I'm assuming I can't say myself, but if I could, I mean, I have Logan, you, because you're the one that asked. Okay, so another question about working out, Simon or Simone, relating to moving from off season to competition, how long before the season do you switch from strength to power? Right now, the way that it's worked this year, I'm about a month out. So that month will hopefully be enough. I think in the past, I've done that a little bit quicker uh, to where maybe I have a month and a half. So if you're if you're still a little bit ways off, kind of keep that in mind. And what is your best tips to avoid injuries? Mobility, easy answer mobility. Make sure that you are focusing on your mobility. Whenever we're thinking about injuries and a lot of the time it's not because we're playing volleyball. You know, uh, we say, oh, I got hurt playing volleyball, but it's not because you're playing volleyball. It's because you have something that is not allowing you to move. And whenever that happens, our bodies constrict ourselves in order to, to protect ourselves. So if you are trying to stay injury free, make sure you're keeping up with your workouts, make sure you're focusing on your mobilities, listen to your body. That's something that Mark and I have really been preaching this year. Uh, if we have any type of back pain, any type of hip impingement, whatever whatever we take that into account where we're lifting if it's supposed to be a max rep day and our backs don't feel great we scrub it or we just lower our weight enough to where we feel comfortable we don't not work out we don't cancel the lift but it just changes what we're focusing on and i think if you can do that then you'll allow yourself to stay healthy you're still improving on that line you're still keeping staying disciplined and getting time in the gym and you're setting yourselves up to still perform later in the week okay so uh, i think it's just listening to your body follow as many accounts as you can that give you good information mark does a really good job of talking and posting about any type of stretches that he enjoys so if you don't already follow mark on instagram please do that he does a phenomenal job and then we also have our seven day mobility challenge that we are not sure when that will be starting up again but whenever we do get that up and running again, it is a great course to not only participate in, but to just gain knowledge when, when you're moving forward on how you can be protecting your body. So if you want to join our next our next mobility section, just let us know and we'll make sure to get you in there. All right. Got about five more minutes, guys. I like the live Q&A, so we're going to stay on this. Raul just asked if we could make a video about beginners. We actually just made one, um, but even that might be a little a little too advanced. I think we could just make a quick little, maybe three minute video, just explaining what rules we think are important, what how to handle certain situations. I appreciate that advice. I think I think that would go over well. Okay, rule question: During serve receive, is it a double if the ball comes off a player's forearms then hits the ball? hits the bill of the hat. No, that's good. As long as it's one motion. Okay. So if somebody is going to, let's say somebody serves short and I go and I try to pick this ball up short. And just because it's so short, when I swing my arms to get this ball in the air, it happens to clip my hat on the way up or it happens to clip my face on the way up. That is still a good play. 
okay? It's only gonna be counted as a double if your hands are apart or if it is two separate actions, meaning let's say I pass the ball in the air and then I head it to my partner, okay? If it is an incidental contact, meaning it just passed the ball and it happened to graze off your face or graze off your hat, then keep the play going. Obviously the ref has the final call, but it should be a good play if it's on accident and it happens to just be what happens in the play. But just make sure it's one continuous motion. That's, that's the term that you'll use, but it was one continuous motion. Okay, I hear some say it's one attempt, so it's legal. Yeah, you're right. Nice job. Okay. Also, do you have a place you like to go to find rulings? A place you can actually understand the language written, some of the sites that are reading? No, Greg, I don't. <laughs> Unfortunately. Honestly, this is, I don't know if you're on our Facebook group, Volley Chat. Let's see if I have the link for that. I think we do. In our Volley Chat Facebook group. So it's called Volley Chat Get Better Beach Volleyball. We have, we are very lucky to have a bunch of professional refs that are very willing to answer all of these questions. And the unfortunate thing about this, but about our sport, is there is a lot of left up to judgment on the refs' part or what they think happened in the play. Until that changes, there's going to be this weird type of energy around the rules of beach volleyball because they can be argued. And that's the tough thing. But our group on Volley Chat is great because the refs do an awesome job of going in there, giving their ideas, and it allows you to kind of clear up at least what a ref would say to you when you're playing in a game. So uh, that's kind of the best that I can do. I know that we have tried to do as much as we can as far as creating quizzes, as far as creating videos to kind of talk about these rules. So uh, we might have already made a video about a question that you have. Just go on to our YouTube channel, search rules, and you'll be able to see a couple of the videos that we've made about, especially about hand setting and doubles, open hand contacts, serve, receive, everything like we've talked touched on a lot of that stuff. Mark, what are the best drills? So I've got, I'm going to do three more questions and then I'm done. Mark, what are the best drills to improve serve receive? specifically quickness of feet. So I already talked, I think I mentioned to you last time about our uh, six-legged monster. I really like that drill. I know I've probably told you about it before, Mark, because you're on here consistently. Thanks for coming again. Another drill that I really like, which incorporates a free ball pass movement with a serve-receive pass, and we're actually doing this at our practice today, is there will be a person in the court that is standing at the net with a ball, okay? There is also gonna be a person on the opposite service line that's going to be serving. So if you can kind of see, we have a server, we have a person at the net with a ball, and now we need a passer in front of that server across the net, okay? And what's gonna happen is the person that has the ball at the net is going to slap the ball and toss the ball into the middle of the court about serve-receive depth. That passer will shuffle to the middle of the court and pass that ball back to the person who tossed it. Once they have passed that ball, then the server has to serve their half of the court, making them have to adjust after that first pass, relocate and track that ball coming over the net, and then use proper shuffling footwork to get to the next ball. It's obviously a pretty chaotic drill for that second ball that's served, but it's a really, really good drill to incorporate solid movements with the first pass and then finding an emergency move to find that second pass. You can do this where the person is standing in the middle of the court and making a pass, or you can have it where they're on their sideline. So now they're shuffling away from the middle 
of the court making that pass. And then they have to go find that serve. And you can do this drill in a couple different ways. You can do it where there's no attack at all. You can do it where they're only attacking the, or when they're only attacking the ball that was served at them. So you can have a setter on that half of the court. They shuffle, they pass the ball back to that target who tossed to them. Then they shuffle away, pass that serve, and then they can side out that ball as well if you're looking to give them some attacking reps as well. Okay. You can do the same thing for short and deep serves, except now you need to make it specific on where that server has to serve the ball. So for instance, if if I toss the ball deep, then maybe the server has to serve the ball short. Okay, so those can kind of incorporate together, but you have to make it a little bit more planned out so that the passer has a decent idea where they're going. And it's okay for the passer to know because for this question mark, you're trying to improve muscle memory. You're not trying to improve quickness. The quickness will come with the muscle memory but people don't understand what their bodies are supposed to be doing. That's why it's slow because they're still trying to comprehend. I played with a guy in college, one of my best friends, Javier Perez, and he was Puerto Rican. And when he came to the U.S. or when he came to college, he spoke very good English, but he talked about, he used to tell me that it takes him longer to talk to people because he would have to translate in his head what it was in Spanish and then to English, and then he would say it. So it would just take him a long time. And it's the same thing when we're thinking about passing. We just don't know how to move yet. And that's why it's taking us a long time. It's not necessarily that we're slow. It's just that we don't have the, the right movements down in our muscle memory to make that move quick. So get the footwork down and then that will increase their speed. And it's also, it might be a strength thing too, but that's another conversation. Okay, two more minutes. Trying to do three to four times a week each, so it's okay to do them both on the same days or better to space it out throughout the week. So this is a question that's kind of related to what we talked about earlier. So for preseason training and workout earlier, you mentioned trying to do three to four times a week each. So it's okay to do them both on the same days or it's better to space it out throughout the week. It's 100% okay to do them on the same days. For instance, today I'm doing a rep. I'm doing a practice that's mainly going to be drill based. Okay. And then after I'm done with my practice, I'm going to the gym and I'm going to be doing a lower body session. Okay. So it is okay to make those happen on the same days. It's just making sure that you're listening to your body. Okay. Okay, so for instance, if on a Wednesday, I'm supposed to have a competitive practice and I'm also supposed to do a workout Wednesday morning, then it might not be a good idea for me to go a heavy lift on Wednesday. Okay, so it takes planning. It takes you thinking about during your, on Sunday morning, plan out your week. Say, I'm going to be practicing on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Okay, and then you can also think about your lifting. Okay, that allows me to work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, something along those lines. And then as you're creating that plan, it gives you something to stick to. And then you can listen to your body and you can adjust your playing or your workouts depending on how your body's feeling, okay? Soreness isn't a reason to change, okay? Little nagging injuries or feeling a little, I might've done something to my back or my hips feeling a little funky. Tell your trainer or do some type of mobility exercise before you go to the gym, but listen to your body. Don't push through those pains. Realize that it's okay to go lighter in the weight. It's okay to change in the exercise. So instead of doing squats, maybe you're doing body weight lunges or something like that, okay? So just think about that. But yes, it, it's completely okay to, to do them on the same days. You just gotta make sure that, I wouldn't do it all week. I wouldn't say I'm gonna train Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. And so I'm gonna work out Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. I think you just plan it out around your week try to space them out if you can just allows for a little bit more recovery and uh but if you're pushed and you have a full-time job then just fit whatever you can in all right last question 
from Zachary Miller. Rule question. What are the rules for getting a ball that crosses over the net on first contact and bringing the ball back to your side of the net? It has to come back around outside the antenna. Yes. And it also has to go outside the antenna on the way over as well. Okay. So if I'm in serve receive and I pass the ball over the net, I wish JM was on this because he had a heated debate a couple weeks ago about this. But if I pass the ball over the net and it goes inside the antennas, then pursuit is not an option, okay? First, you need to look at the rules of your tournament and see if pursuit is even allowed. Because sometimes, like especially if tournaments have multiple poles everywhere and courts are really close to each other because they have to fit a lot of tournaments or a lot of games in in the day, then sometimes tournaments will say there's no pursuit because it's just a safety issue. But if there is pursuit allowed, then the rule is, is that my pass has to leave the court outside of the antennas, okay? And then in order for the play to also be legal is that if somebody runs under the net and brings this ball back to my side, then it also has to stay outside the antenna. Okay, so I think the big confusion with this rule sometimes is that people don't think it matters if the ball, where the ball, how the ball travels to the other side of the net, but it has to remain outside the court on both after the pass and returning to your side before you send it over the net. Okay, if the ball travels inside the antennas, then that is no longer your ball to play. It is the other team's job to decide if that ball is in or out, and you have nothing to do with it. Okay. If I pass the ball outside of the antenna, my player can go get it, bring it back outside the antenna, and I can send it over. People love to argue that one, uh, but I was a setter in indoor. I had to do it quite often. I knew when it was good, when it wasn't. The only time where it really comes up for debate is if the ball travels over top of the antenna, because that's a, a ref's judgment to decide where it left. All right. Okay, I think that's all the questions I have time for today. Went a little over, you guys. And this is a good example that if you guys ask us questions, if you put the questions in those comments, if you put questions on our on our group volley chat, if you write on our YouTube videos and ask questions, we take those into account. We love talking volleyball just as much as you guys like asking about it. So I appreciate you guys talking with me today. Please keep uh, all of our coaches just keep thinking about us, keep motivating us. Um, when you guys get out here and ask us questions, it motivates us to get out on the court and train and play hard. Um, and we have a lot of tournaments coming up. Um, and also uh, Logan Weber, who's been on our chat today. Uh, big congrats to him. He got to play in a challengers tournament for on the, on the world tour. Um, unfortunate loss in qualification round, but it's just, it's good to see people that are working with us and spreading the game, um, getting out there and uh, competing at a really high level. So we're, uh, we're happy for you, Logan. We appreciate you being a part of our squad but i gotta run to run to practice um once again it was a pleasure getting to talk to you guys i appreciate you guys tuning in um and as always we'll uh we'll see you on the sand have a good week guys